Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Monday night, August 16th. Hope everyone is doing well. Everyone had a great weekend. Cut up today on the podcast is our last of the three little mini episode series on coaches entering their first years with new respective programs. Coming up today is the new Ithaca College head men's basketball coach Waleed Farid. Really, really interesting, really fun conversation with Coach Farid and what all the things he's planning to do at Ithaca College, you know, coming from from Hartwick as well, taking over a new program, kind of adjusting to all that and getting uh, ready for for what will be his first season with a historically very successful Ithaca program. Really fun conversation going into his playing career, uh, college, professional, and then him getting into coaching, just a really fun conversation. Pumped you guys can get get a chance to hear it. So I want to hit the music, and when we come back is my conversation from last week with Coach Waleed Farid. Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the new head men's basketball coach at Ithaca College, Waleed Farid. He played his college ball at Stevens Institute of Technology, where he helped lead the team to the 2007 Sweet 16, the 2008 ECAC title, and graduated as the program's all-time leader in points, rebounds, and steals, and was a three-time all-conference selection. He continued his playing career overseas in Egypt, where he averaged 10 points per game, and then he began his coaching career at his alma mater the following year, where he stayed for seven seasons. In the summer of 2016, he was named the head men's basketball coach at Hartwick College, where he helped lead the program to 49 wins over five seasons. And in May of 2021, he was named the new head men's basketball coach at Ithaca College, where he is getting ready for his first season of Liberty League competition. I'm thrilled he's taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? Going great, David. Thanks for having me on. Big fan of the podcast. I'm excited excited for this conversation. Of course, I appreciate that, Coach. So, so as usual, we're, we're going to work chronologically. Start at the beginning. Kind of tell us where did you grow up and kind of how did you first start falling in love with the game of basketball? Awesome. So I, I, uh, I grew up in, uh, in Queens, New York, Woodside, born and raised. Um, I'm a New York City kid. Um, basketball is pretty much the only sport I've ever played. Uh, picked it up as, as a young kid. I think, you know, one of the first – you know, games I watched on TV, or, or at least that I remember, uh, you know, the Chicago Bulls winning their first championship in 1991 or whatever it is, Bulls-Lakers, watching Jordan, and I might have been in a first grader at that time, and, you know, just something I enjoyed. I had an older brother, five years older than me, who picked up basketball, started playing, and, you know, I, I was into it. And from that day, you know, it's just something I always done. Spent a lot of time in, in, in empty gyms as a kid. Uh, you know, shout out to the St. Sebastian's uh, Paris Center. We had a membership. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of summer afternoons just by myself playing or jumping in on some, you know, random pickup. You know, with some, you know, sixth and seventh graders or whatever, and then just, you know, it's 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 been a part of me. It's the only thing I know. It's 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 my love, and and you know, it's taken me to a lot of places, introduced me to a lot of people, and and you know, I owe a lot to the game, and I, I'm still trying to give back. As as a fellow New Yorker here, can you kind of talk about what it's like? Because basketball is the game of New York City. You 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 walk down the street, everyone's playing at you know. It feels like every park has a basketball court. Because I know what it did for me, did for me growing up. But can you kind of talk about what it was like, just walking around New York City growing up and just seeing basketball all around you? As what I'm sure you were, which was like me, a basketball obsessed kid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the game that doesn't, you know, you, you can play by yourself, but you can play with others. You don't need, you know, you just need a ball and a hoop. Sometimes yeah. you need, I'm not going to lie, sometimes as a kid I didn't even need a hoop. Yeah. I made, I, we, we made it, we had imaginary hoops, we turned things into hoops and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, growing up, you know, I, I had two brothers, they're older and younger, and, you know, my parents and my, my dad was the only one who worked and, you know, he did the best for us and, you know, we, you know, we, took advantage of, of what we could do and you know we didn't we didn't have money for little league and all these other things and so all we had was was the basketball you know you go to the park and then like i said we were able to get a membership to an indoor gym yeah. where i got to spend time and you know everybody was playing basketball i'm not gonna lie to you i didn't know what some sports were 
until I got a lot older. You know, like I, I never heard of a lacrosse or anything yeah. like that, right? You know, like you know, it's just it's just the game of the game of the city. You know, it's the greatest game in the world. And you play it in so many different ways. It's one on one and two on two, and you know, all the way to five on five. You play twenty one. You know, all these different things, and and um, you know, it just. It, it brings a lot of joy just thinking about, you know, playing it as a kid and, you know, growing up, you know, in high school and all that kind of stuff. It's just something you can do at all times. And literally, like as a kid, it was something I was willing to do at all times. I was one of those kids who I always had, you know, in, from seventh grade on, I had my basketball shorts on under everything. Yep. <laughs> right, I, I was ready. I'm ready to play. And, you know, high school, after classes are over, I'm out at the park, by school, you know, like whatever it was. And, and you know, it, it's – it's an it's an amazing game, and you know, it, there's a reason so many people around the world now yeah. play the game of basketball. Yeah, some of my best memories was my middle school and high school. We had a, we called it the the red top, but it was so used that the red uh, asphalt was now just like the asphalt color, and it was six hoops. And literally, school would let out at three thirty. The bus would depart at four o five, and the court was not close to where the buses were. It was a sprint to the court, and as much. <laughs> Five on five, four on four action as you get in, and there was four on four, five five on every single hoop. It was that's exactly what you said. Kids, that's how you made friends. It was the kids who were on the basketball team, not on the basketball team. Everyone played basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the great thing about it was that there, basketball doesn't discriminate. No, you know, it, it didn't discriminate on your background, didn't discriminate on your age. You know, like I, some of my best memories are when I played with old duck. When I tried, I forced my way into playing with my older brother and his friends mm-hmm. right like i was you know i i had to be there sometimes he got stuck with me he had to take <laughs> me with you know those kind of things right so you know like you know, even when i was in high school and i you know i didn't i loved playing high school ball and playing with kids my age but i also enjoyed like going down to the gym on tuesday thursday nights to play with the older guys right yeah. like, i just wanted to play with those guys maybe better maybe tougher it was more intense you know those are some of some of the best like basketball memories and you got, you got you got you get your butt whipped a little bit and you get thrown around until you start getting tough enough you know but that that's what you know kind of made me the player that i that i became is some of those experiences now as you're playing a lot through high school and everything i'm sure you're thinking about college kind of what was your recruiting process like and kind of and how did you end up choosing stevens tech so you know my recruiting process was was obviously very different than what's going on you know, nowadays, you know, like AAU was a thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't something you had to be doing, right? It, at that mm-hmm. time, it wasn't, you know, you, you don't know what you're doing if you don't play AAU right now, right? But like, then it was like, to me, I, I actually, I didn't really play much AAU. I tried to play a little bit as a, as a junior in high school kind of thing, and it wasn't the same, you know, you're playing on the team, it's just like a ragtag bunch of dudes who never practiced and that yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> I, pre- I preferred to, to just be in the gym, working. Uh, you know, working on my game and, and trying to get better. So I didn't really get too much exposure as a player, you know, and I didn't, I, I went to Stuyvesant high school, yep. phenomenal high school, academics, great, you know, all that stuff. I didn't go to a, you know, a New York, New York city private school where you, you got the exposure and all that stuff. I played against all those guys my whole life, but I didn't go to those schools. Academics was number one in our household. And you know, I went to Stuyvesant, you know, and I had a great career at Stuyvesant, yeah. you know, like, you know, and, and, you know, if you look at if you ever were to find the record somewhere and look, you know, the the, the leading scores in, in all of New York City public basketball, you know, in my senior year, whatever year that was, and I don't want to give that away. Um, you, know, like, uh, you know, it was I was like at the top. I was in third. I was third, yeah. third in the city in scoring. And, uh, number one, Sebastian Telfair. He, he ended up having NBA. You know, pretty phenomenal career number two was gary forbes he played in the nba as well and the number yep. three just some, some random dude no one knew from stives in high school you know averaging whatever i was averaging double double whatever you know so i i didn't get a lot of recruitment um you know a couple schools here and there reached out and i didn't really know what i was doing i i was a young kid who thought i was you know amazing and i wanted to play division one and i had these dreams and these goals and um you know i got recruited late in high school, you know, Stevens recruited me late. Coach Hain, uh, Steve Hain, who's, who's an assistant at Rutgers now, um, he found out about me late. Tried to recruit me to Stevens, but I was a little, little cocky, a little arrogant, a little too confident. And I blew him off, and I actually, I went to Stony Brook out of high school. Okay. Um, I walked on there. I was a walk on there. Um, you know, I, I did a year there. I never, I never dressed for a game. I never 
I never played in a game, didn't travel, any of those things. But I was at every practice, every workout, and I got better. You know, but I was a walk on it. Um, after a year of that, I, I realized that I needed to play. I needed to play in games. I was putting in too much time to not be able to play and have an impact. I wanted to be able to tell my future kids, you know, the things I accomplished, that kind of stuff. Luckily, Coach Hayne wasn't too mad that I blew him off a year before, <laughs> and you know, he, he kind of, you know, re-recruited me, and I ended up going to state. And I, and you know, the rest was history from there. But you know, I was able to to, to have a pretty successful career at Stevens. And, you know, I got a great degree. Um, you know, and I, and I, I have fond memories of, of Stevens and, and the things we were able to accomplish there as a, you know, as an individual, obviously, but as a team even more. And correct me if, if I'm wrong, Coach, but so Coach Leffler, who's now at Johns Hopkins, took over during your college career at Stevens. What was it like almost, you know, during your time in college playing for two, two or three different head coaches? Uh, it, it was it was different. It was it was tough at the time. I'm not gonna lie to you. You know, like Coach Hayne was had a really big impact on my life. He, he he was somebody I really looked up to and had a really strong connection to him. So when when there was the coaching change, um, you know, I was angry. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, you know, and I, I had thoughts of leaving and all that kind of stuff, but it never happened. And, and, and Coach Leffler took over in, in my last two years there, and uh, we had a ton of success. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know he he. He helped. Uh, he helped take us to um, higher levels. You know, we had high we had high expectations. You know, under him, and you know, we knew we were going to be good. But he helped us get there, and it, w- it was a great experience. Um, you know, two different coaches. I'm not going to lie to you, and, and yeah. but you know, two two really good people who who had an impact on my career in different ways. And so that year, you make it to the Sweet 16. Everyone thinks, you know, afterwards, oh, you know, like we always talk about like the team of destiny and in, in sports and the teams going on on runs. But as you were actually living through it, were you seeing different signs of knowing that, hey, we're not just good, but we can actually make a really deep run? Yeah, uh, we always thought we were good, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, that that year that was a culmination of, of, you know, what we'd gone through the first couple of years there. You know, we built up my first year at Stevens. Um, you know, we won, I want to say uh, 13 or 14 games, something like that. And it's like, you know, made the conference tournament next year. We, we won 15 games or whatever. And, you know, we were in the second round of the conference tournament. We've been building up and it was the same group of guys, you know, putting in the work and, and, and we just kind of felt like that next year we were ready to make, a big jump you know we were, yeah. we were coming for the conference you know that kind of thing and we had a really good year all year long and you know um you know and things just kind of came together um we we had we had a really good mix of guys we had some tough dudes some really good players a good mix of guys just kind of who played off each other really well uh good leadership um you know and, and we were able to have a good season to put ourselves in position to when we happen to get upset in our conference tournament that we still were able to get an at-large bid mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and the at-large bid, maybe some people didn't agree that we deserved it, but we absolutely thought we deserved it. And, uh, when, when we found out we were going to be in the tournament, we, you know, something clicked in our heads a little bit that, Hey, we, we had to take advantage, right? right. We had, we had to make something happen. And you guys did beat Ramapo on the road, a New Jersey rivalry, get to the sweet 16. And so, that's as that's going on in college. So Stevens Tech, you know, full disclosure, that's where I'm at now, doing graduate school, playing one more season. It's a STEM school, engineering school. It's in Hoboken, New Jersey, very close to New York. I'm sure as you're going through college, there's a lot of really smart people around you talking about the city and job opportunities and what they're going to do for career-wise. Did you have this, you know, an, an idea that that you were going to go? into what may be a more traditional path out of Stevens, whether it's to try to be an engineer or did you kind of always know that you wanted to coach basketball? Uh, neither. Actually. <laughs> um, so uh, I was a business major, I was uh-huh. business and technology. So I wasn't smart enough to be an engineer. Uh, you know, I couldn't handle that kind of uh, <laughs> course load. Um, but you know, throughout, throughout my college career, you know, I did well enough in school and, you know, and I was able to put the time in and, and, and be successful and set myself up if I, if I didn't want to go into, you know, the, the, the real world, quote unquote, and, and get a you know job I could. Um, but I never wanted that. I, I never wanted to do a nine to five kind of job and sit at a desk or whatever it was. 
whatever I had, my, you know, my, my visions of it, I always wanted to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as, as I got to, started going through my college career, my goal was to play professionally yeah. uh, in some way, shape or form. So, you know, I would say from my junior into my senior year, that was the only goal I really had. You know, like I, I had the degree as, as a as a fallback. And if it didn't work out, I would have probably ended up trying to find a job or whatever or figure out what was next. Uh, but, I, I, you know, playing professionally was always was always my goal. And, you know, luckily I was able to to go overseas you know, after my senior year and, and play. And you were able to play in in Egypt. So so kind of just walk through for us because. You know, Division three players are not on TV all the time. It's not like in, in Division one where you're getting opportunities where even some good players in Division one, okay, you can make it to the Summer League and then go play in Europe. For Division three players, it's a lot harder to, to kind of get your film out there, get your name out there. How did you, as a Division three player who want to continue playing, uh, go through that process and, and get that opportunity? Yeah, you know, we, we did it the old-fashioned way. We we made tapes, we yep. made highlight films, I sent out full game films, and and just tried to figure out, you know, who who we send these things to. You know, I'm I'm googling, you know, teams overseas, and if I can find an email address for it, you know, we're we're trying to figure out a way to send an email and just try to start a conversation and be able to mail something out if we could. You know, obviously, I think. It, you know, then I couldn't just send a file or whatever. Like we were yeah. figuring out, we had to send real DVDs out. Um, you know, and and luckily we, we were able to build some connections with some people who who we knew had connections. So kind of you know, a couple guys who were playing overseas at the time who, who knew what how to go about it and that kind of thing. I ended up signing with an agent who had a connection, and and you know, I'm Egyptian, um, so kind of the connection to Egypt was there because you know I wouldn't have counted as um, a foreign player there. I, you know, I have Egyptian citizenship because my both both my parents are Egyptian. So able to get an Egyptian passport, I'm able to go over to Egypt and count as one of their local players. So now the team that I'm playing for can have a foreign, you know, an American player, and yep. me, and technically have two American players. So I was able to kind of get in that way through that connection and, and kind of you know join a team that was willing to take me on based on just you know a highlight film and, and a couple DVDs of full game film of you know good old division three basketball in Hoboken, New Jersey. Can you sort of describe what, what it's like to really be a professional athlete in a foreign country? We, we always hear about it, especially with, with nowadays the, the soccer players who are doing it, the, the young American soccer players who are going overseas and they talk about the isolation they feel and maybe a language barrier, all this stuff. Can you kind of talk about what it's like to be now a professional in a foreign country? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I felt that for sure, you know, like, uh, the good thing is, is you know, people who know me know that I'm, you know, basketball is what I do, so mm-hmm. I, I was there to do the basketball, I, I wasn't, you know, Egypt is, a, is an amazing place yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't there for the sightseeing and the culture or any of that stuff, so I was there, to, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, so a lot of my daily life was, you know, wake up in the morning and go to the gym and shoot or lift and then come back later in the day for practice, you know, and other than that, I'm, I'm in my, in my, my flat or whatever that they gave me. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out ways to, you know, to, to watch American TV, you know, and movies and I'm downloading yeah. TV shows, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this is, this is at the beginning of Skype, you know, that kind of stuff, Skype and my family and friends and, you know, Slingbox TV was there, and I, could, I was able to hook that up and be able to, to, to watch some basketball games. And the time difference was like seven, eight hours. So I'm, I'm staying up till, you know, 4 a.m. or something, uh, Egypt time, just so I can watch, you know, the Laker game at 1030 in the East Coast, you know, yeah. in the East Coast or whatever. You know, so that was my life. You know, the culture barrier was there. Like, you know, I didn't really speak the language, though I'm Egyptian. Like, I, you know, I, I understand it, mm-hmm. um, but speaking it's not great. So, you know, they, you know, they see my name and they know who I am and they think I'm, I'm one of them, but I, I've never been there before, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, there was, there was some different things you had to learn and experience. There were some different, interesting experiences, you know, the way they play basketball is different. Yeah. Right? That was, that was different. So just getting accustomed to that, you know, the, the way the pro the, the clubs are run and all that kind of thing, it's similar to how soccer is, right? Like it's, yep. it's, it's a similar kind of experience there, the fans and the, the devoted fan and the way the, the teams are run and you know I, I'm not going to forget like my, my first experience there I, I I got off the plane 
someone picks me up, they drive me, I'm staying in a hotel for like a couple, you know, a week before like my flat is ready or whatever. And the team is, is, you know, the team has started their preseason stuff already. So they're like in, in, in like Lebanon or something playing like a preseason tournament. Now it's going to just beat them when they come back. And they just tell me like, Hey, tomorrow morning, show up at this, this, uh, the club, show up at the club. You know, we're just going to do some conditioning or whatever. And I just, flew, you know, I just flew in the day before. It's like a twelve-hour flight, all this kind of thing. And, and I just meet this guy, you know, first time meet him. He's like, "All right, we're on a track." He's like, "Go ahead and run." <laughs> and I'm just running around this track, and next thing you know, like alongside of me, there's just a guy. He's just riding his horse. You know, like, it's a horse track, and I'm just riding. I'm running alongside this horse who's being trained or whatever. And they just like ran me for like thirty minutes. I literally just like running. I was like, I came out. I was like, what was the point of that? I don't know. But like, you know, just the, the way things were done different. Like I just right. that that experience. A lot of things were done differently, but you learn, and it's an experience that you know I, I wouldn't trade for the world. It, it, it's it's a part of me, and I enjoyed every second of it. Whether you know I had an injury there early on that I had to battle, and you know playing time and this and that and that kind of thing. You can deal with all that, but. Uh, I wouldn't have traded that experience for the world. It's, it, it's made me, you know, the person I am. And so you've, you've talked a lot about wanting to, your, your focus was continuing playing, c- continuing playing basketball, but you eventually became a coach and you come back to the U.S. and you come back to Hoboken to be an assistant at your alma mater, at Stevens. What was that adjustment going from being so focused on playing basketball to now coaching basketball? Yeah, so, I mean, being overseas is what eventually led me to, to wanting to coach. I'd never mm. had that passion before, to be honest. Um, you know, but I'd had people tell me multiple times, you know, throughout my playing career, like, you know, are you interested in coaching? You'd be a great coach, you know, that kind of thing. You know, uh, leadership was something I did really well. Um, but I, I just never thought of it. You know, I always just, I always thought I was going to play until, you know, like forever, I guess. Um, you know, and then when it, being in Egypt and just watching how things were done and, you know, our coach was a good coach, but some of the things he did and the way he taught, you know, I just felt like I knew things that I, I just had things I had to get back to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I started kind of getting into just like doing individual, you know, workouts with, with just like guys as I was training, right? I'd just grab guys I knew and, and that kind of thing. And then it kind of led into be, you know, me just, you know, talking with, you know, coach Hurley, Bobby Hurley at Stevens and just being like, hey, like, can I jump on here? Like, you know, I'm, I'm into this. And he, he, of course, encouraged me and welcomed me and allowed me to become part of his staff. And, you know, the rest was, uh, the rest is history, I guess. And so just for any listeners who maybe tune in for, for the first time, aren't that familiar with division three basketball, it's not like division one, where if you go to a game and there's 14 assistant coaches for a clipboard for each timeout, right? The staffs yeah. are a lot smaller and, those coaches in Division One, it feels like assistants, director of basketball operations, everyone has w- almost like one specific job or very defined roles. What are kind of the responsibilities that a Division Three uh, assistant has? Yeah, so I mean, you 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 pinpointed it pretty pretty accurately there. You do a lot. Mm-hmm. You do a lot um, in comparison to some of those uh, higher levels. Um, the cool thing about Stevens is Stevens, we actually always had four or five guys there. yeah when i first started there i wasn't the head assistant i you know i was i was in, i was volunteer to be honest for for a couple of years and, and until I, I got moved up to, to the full-time position um you know in your experience now you got like four coaches there all, mm-hmm. all the time you know so we actually had a bigger staff there but yeah you're you're doing everything you're 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 doing the laundry you're sweeping the floor you're recruiting you're doing the scout you're setting up the meals the you know you're driving so-and-so to the airport and picking them up, you know, whatever it needs to be done, the assistant coach usually has to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you know, and, and it's a great experience. It kind of sets you up for, for the rest of, you know, the rest of your coaching career when you're like, Oh, I've done that. I've done that. You know, like, there's not much that you never had to do as an assistant, um, which is pretty cool. It, it's, it kind of, it brings you along faster. I would say right. you know, I, I felt ready to be a head coach you know, pretty early on just because of all the things we were, you know, I was involved in and I worked for, you know, I worked for a great leader and, and coach and coach early and, and he allowed, he gave me freedom. He he, he delegated really well and, and gave me more responsibility than I probably deserved at the time. And, you know, so I was able to kind of really flourish under him and just kind of build up my reps, you know, so to speak. And so during my experience getting recruited and my time at Wesleyan, 
as a player seeing not only my assistant coaches, but the assistant coaches in the NESCAC and on the men's and women's side and just around the Division Three game as well, assistant coaches bounce around a lot. You know, coaches have to be mobile. They have to be willing to relocate seemingly on a moment's notice for a different job. You were pretty unusual in that you stayed at Stevens for seven seasons. That's pretty unusual for a Division Three assistant to stay that long at a job. Why did you stay at Stevens for for so long? Uh, it, 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 it was home for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's where I played, and, and it, it gave me so much, and I, I always just felt, you know, I, I never really looked at, you know, where, where else can I go? You know that kind of thing as an assistant coach. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was, I had like I said, I had a lot of responsibility. We had a great program, and you know I enjoyed coming to work every single day. You know I'm working with with Coach Hurley, who's, who's you know is, is one of my you know he's he's my boss and my mentor and all that kind of stuff. But he's one of my best friends. Like it, it was fun to come to work. Um, so it never really was crossing my mind to, to, to bounce around other places. I was learning everything I needed to learn there, and I was getting the experience I needed there, and I was enjoying it and um, you know, it just seemed like the perfect spot. I, I don't know. I never really was something I even thought about or, or discussed. You know, my next move was going to be taking over a program mm. whenever that, that time was, you know, and I was never really in a hurry, um, you know, but the times, you know, the opportunities started to present themselves near the end there. And and you mentioned that you knew pretty on, or pr- pretty early on that, that you were ready to take over and, and run a program, but what does that really mean? Like, like, what did you know? Like, was it something that you just felt ready for the responsibility? Was it that you just felt that it was time? Like, how did you know, or sort of when did you know that, that you were ready? Yeah, I'm not sure I, I know when I was ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I say I thought I was ready. I yeah. definitely was not ready. Once <laughs> I became a head coach, I knew I wasn't ready. But, you know, at the time I thought I, you know, I did because, you know, you know, yeah, I studied the X's and O's and we'd had success and I'd gone through the recruiting cycle so many times and, you know, you know, just, just watching, you know, Coach Early run his program and learning from him and, you know, being able to just, just starting to have my own ideas, my own thoughts, and philosophies, that kind of thing. So I just started to feel like, I, hey, the next step for my growth is putting these thoughts, you know, out there and, and seeing how it works and running a program and, and being the leader of this program. So, you know, that, that, was, that was something I always thought, but like I said, once I became a head coach, I realized like that was, all of that was just like a small part of being the head coach. <laughs> and, and, you know, you start to learn a lot. You, you get humbled pretty quickly, you know, your first, first few months on the job as the head coach. And you know, your first head coaching job was at Hartwick. What drew you to the school? Um, I, I, familiarity was one, they were in our league. Mm-hmm. So watching them, you know, I was just familiar so much with the program, the players, you know, that kind of thing. And they'd had success that, you know, they, the, the year before I took over, they, they won the league and they'd won the league, you know, three or four times, you know, in the, in the, in the seven years prior or whatever. So they had success. So it was, a, it was a position where I was taking over where I knew there were higher expectations. I never really wanted to take over a program that was like, Rebuilding, where someone is expecting me to lose. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want anyone to expect me to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was. A, it was a good, good situation to take over in a program where you know you were expected to win, and, and I wanted to win. Um, you know, and it was just you know, it, it's a head coaching opportunity um, in, in a good league at a good school that had success. Um, the academics were strong. Um, it's a great college town, so it kind of fed into a little bit about, you know, similar to my experience at Stevens, it was just a place that I thought, you know, you could be really successful there. I read that you describe your leadership style. You've mentioned leadership a couple of times that, that you described it as situational. And I was curious yeah. if you could kind of expand on, upon what sit on, on what that really means, because one thing you notice is that if you watch a lot of different sports is different leadership styles work. If the end goal is to win a championship, you can do a lot of different things in terms of leadership and still reach that 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 end goal. There it isn't just one recipe for success, but a lot of different things leadership wise can lead to that end result. So I was just curious if you could expand on what situational leadership means. Right. So um, that that's pretty much exactly what it means, right? I, I don't believe that one leadership style. Um, there there is only one leadership style that works and. To be honest, you know when you're, you're coaching in college basketball, you have 
so many different personalities that come in and out of your program. And, and so I, I feel like you have to be flexible. I could, I can't coach my team one way. Each player is not going to respond to the same style of leadership. So, um, you know, I, I looked at it as situational. There are times where, you know, you got to be, you know, you have to be authoritarian, you know, authoritarian and, and almost, you know, it's going to be done this way. Right. But sometimes it's, it's got to be democratic where, Hey, Hey guys, like, what do we want to do? Let, let, let's all make this decision together. Right. And, and, you know, but you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I do get very passionate. So I, I tend to, to, to be on that motivational servant <laughs> leader type of, um, you know, role a lot of the time, but I do know that you got to be flexible and you got to be able to, to use different styles because different guys respond to different things. And, you know, it's, that's, you know, that's, that's what a team is, right. It's a, it's a right. conglomerate of a lot of different people and, and, trying to get them to, to gel and, and work towards one thing for a long period of time. It, it takes a lot of styles. I think you only have one style. I think it can get old pretty quickly and you get tuned out. And, um, you know, I never want that to happen. Right. Right. And that, that's something. So, so here's something I experienced while, while I was at Wesleyan, which was Steph Curry. People talk about all the time, changed the game of basketball with the way he could shoot threes. And then, you know, James Harden, like the three point revolution has changed basketball. And during my time at Wesleyan, it felt like, Every year, it was trickling down to the to the Division Three game, exponentially. You know, exponentially is now all these teams are changing playing styles. The game is changing. You know, we now have some teams that are taking fifty threes a game. Everyone wants to dribble and shoot. Did you feel like at all that you had to make some adjustments to to your playing style uh, with just the way that the game was changing around you? No, uh, I, I mean I love. Style of play. Okay. So I was, I was, uh, I was all bored. You know, like that, that was how I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, and it started at Stevens. Like we, you know, we 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 played different styles when we were at Stevens. We had success with all of them, pretty much. Um, but you know, towards my last couple of years there, we we you know we became pretty guard heavy, perimeter oriented, fast paced, let it fly, scoring eighty something points a game, shooting a ton of threes, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's fun. It's fun, you know. Like I, I, I think the guys like playing that way. I think you know, I like coaching that way. I think people like watching that, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I think I love skill, right? That was my, you know, as a player, that was my game. You know, being all around, versatile, kind of being able to do a lot of different things, you know. So I, I, I like that style of play, and, and I think, I think it's only natural that we've gone, we've we've geared, you know, shifted towards a, a more skilled style of play, right? Being able to. to pass, dribble, and shoot, you know, at every position if we can, you know, and, and, and play fast and, you know, take advantage of our skill sets. You know, I think that's – it's just a, a natural evolution, I think, right? And I think, yeah. um, you know, again, like I said, it, it's a fun way to play. And, and yeah, you, you lose a little bit of freedom as a – you know, a little bit of control as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's – it's I think it's, it's the way the game should be played, right? I think it's um, – you know, I, I would hate to try to – play a different style nowadays and, and i'm just curious because when you talk about the the control as a coach you see some college basketball college football coaches and they love control they want to control every single thing about the game and you know i think i used this example last week but in in the final four gonzaga ucla mark few complete control for the players it looks like mick cronin if he could after every pass UCLA made would want to call a timeout to direct the next pass right so just as a coach how do you deal with that in this free-flowing offense and style that sometimes you're not going to have control and guys can make mistakes or do things that you may not want them to be doing or a read that you may not want them to make or would make yourself yeah I mean I think in the games I think you live with it you try to coach when you can Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you try to affect those things in practice, you know, uh, you know, try to talk about shot selection. What are we looking to do? What our identity is, you know, you know, that kind of stuff and, and try to get that across as much as you can when we're practicing so that it's not as, you know, wild when the game is. Right. Yeah, there's going to be times like, you know, I, I don't mind. And that's, that's kind of the reason why I like to play fast is, it allows for more mistakes and you know when you play slow and you're walking it up and it's it's a knock them knock them down drag it out type of game 
one mistake can can hurt can kill the game can, yeah. can really cost you right but when you're playing a little bit faster it's up and down you can afford there's a little bit little bit more uh you know room for error so it's part of the reason why i actually want to play that way is allow guys to make mistakes and not have it be considered detrimental to the game you know like a, a turnover here and a bad shot here it's not going to kill you when you're playing a little bit faster right so, th- so your your first four years at Hartwick, you're winning games, you're you're building up the the program, having some success. Four season ends, you know the the 2020 season, which was your fourth, ends in the end of February, and two weeks later, the the world changes. When did you first learn about the coronavirus, and and when did you find out that Hartwick was going to be sending everyone home uh, for the spring semester? Yeah, so I mean, you'd been reading about it, and you know, and, and that kind of thing, hearing about it. it probably had to be what end of January time frame, but mm-hmm. I think it never really crossed my mind that oh, this is something that was going to have this kind of impact. I thought it was just something that you know like we've dealt with these things. These things have popped up, you know, over the years, little flu variations and things like that. We've survived, and I never thought anything of it. And then you know, next thing you know, it's like oh well, the you know. They're not letting fans into these games, and then they're shutting down this tournament, and then you know the NBA is done. And it's like, yeah. all right, well, uh, you know, it's this is this is a little serious, you know. And then you know, I think we found out, you know, like you said, our season had ended already. You know, uh, unfortunately, ended a little too soon for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had we had actually just started um, started up our you know off season stuff and yeah. we were we were we were gearing up and our guys were fired up to be in the weight room we had done a whole week of off season stuff to, you know and they were fired up and next thing you know it's like i think we we were about to go into spring break and they're getting told hey you know we're going to spring break here and you know there may be an announcement coming and i got my players asking me like hey do you, do you think we're going to come back and I'm telling guys like, oh, maybe you should just take all your stuff, you know. Yeah. You know, well, why not? You That's know, what my mom thing. told next me. Thing, right? Yeah. You know, and next thing you know is they didn't come back, you know, and and finish the semester remote and all that kind of stuff. And it's been a long, uh, long year and a half, I guess now or so, whatever, whatever it is. And so during that, during the summertime, everyone's kind of waiting and and hoping that we're going to have a normal school year, but the virus was in control. And in August and September, colleges around the country had to make some really tough decisions on what they were going to do for the school year in terms of who was going to be on campus, how many people, policies. And one of those really tough decisions they had to make was about sports. And in particular, as we learned more about the virus, was about indoor sports, right? Sort of when did you find out about Hartwick's plans for the winter sports season that they weren't going to be competing in, in the same way as previous years. So the, the empire eight had, um, had basically taken the approach of let's, let's, um, let's not cancel anything. Let's just mm-hmm. keep postponing and putting it off and maybe things will improve. So we'd always had hope, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't get a decision that just told us, Hey, this isn't going to happen. So we'd always had hope. We just kind of kept that hope alive. We prepared our team and pretty much told my guys, you know, throughout the year, like, hey, until they tell us we're not going to play, we are going to play. And we need to prepare for that. So we kept that mindset and we got all the way, you know, we, the Empire decided to play, you know, and we, we got to the point we had a schedule and, um, you know, we, we had some practices and that kind of thing. And we, we actually played a game. Wow. Um, you know, unfortunately, Hartwick had, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the Empire 8 that decided everything. Um, institutions within the empire had their own policies and stuff yep. and hartwick had some policies that were put in place to, to make sure that we were protecting our, our school and our community and, and take care of itself and, and we ended up um you know having to having to bow out after a game because of you know some covid stuff and and it's it stunk it was terrible um you know to be honest I, part of me thinks it, it, we would have been better off not playing at all just because of the sting of playing that one game and then being told after that we're not playing anymore, right. it actually hurt. You know, it hurt more than, than just you know being told we weren't going to play at all. And obviously, it hurt even more watching the rest of the league play, and we couldn't. Um, you know, so it was it was a tough couple months, and we had tried to stay as positive as we could throughout, and we did a good job. And we, you know, it hurt us for a couple of weeks, and then we got back into it. We started getting some workouts in, and, and the cool thing about the way the rules were last year was we were allowed to keep working around with our guys and yeah. that kind of stuff. And we accomplished a lot. It was pretty cool. Um, you know, and guys got better and you know, I'm excited for, for how those guys do this year because 
you know, we, we made a lot of improvements as a team and individually um, in that spring. Yeah, so what what were some of the things that you were able to do with the team during the, the fall and, and the early winter? Because, you know, you're, you're preparing like, hey, we're not we're, we're going we're gonna to still think that we are going to play. But it's 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 hard from a player's perspective. I know this, and, and I'm sure you know this too. If you don't have a start date to train for, in in your head, like this is like the go date, it it can be hard to to keep going when when you don't have that uh a clear date in front of you that it's going to start. So, what type of stuff were you able to do throughout the season, and to kind of just keep them engaged that it wasn't just one on zero shooting workouts for six months. Yeah, yeah, we, we had to battle that a little bit, but luckily, mm-hmm. to be honest, we had such a great group of guys. Uh, our culture was pretty strong there. You know, by the time of, you know by that by last year, where we had guys who just loved basketball. You know, and and you know, having not been able to play it for however many months that was, where they just were shut down and quarantined and all that kind of stuff. Um, we had guys who were just excited to come and yeah. you know we did have we did have some of those workouts where hey you're at your own hoop with your own ball. And we're going to go for 45 minutes here and get better. Um, yeah, in the fall and the winter, we, was, we were in those, you know, we were in small groups and each guy had their own ball, that kind of stuff. Uh, couldn't really do a lot as a full team, you know, small group lifting, you know, those kind of things. So we did whatever we can. We did a lot of skill development. Just And, and the way we approached it is I wanted to teach the guys how to work out on their own mm-hmm. just in case they it happened again. You know, yeah. you're on your own and we can't do it. I wanted them to know how to do it. Uh, so that was that was our main goal in the fall was just figure out how to teach the guys how to get a workout in on your own, how to get better at, at all the stuff you need to get better at when you only have one ball and you're in your driveway or whatever it is. Um, so that was, that was how we approached it. Like I said, we had a really great group of guys who just kind of bought into that. Um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but they were, you know, there wasn't a lot of like guys who just weren't into it. Everybody was into it. Even as frustrated as it may have been to not be able to, play some pickup or play some two on two or one on one. Like they still were, were keeping big picture in mind and being happy that they were at least able to do that. Right. There right. are some places, there are some schools who did nothing, right. Yeah. Their gym was shut down all year long. Right. That's, that's something we had to keep talking about. Like, Hey guys, we're lucky enough to at least be able to do this. Let's take advantage. Let's enjoy this moment. You know, that kind of thing, kind of have that mindset. Yeah. Once it was taken away, it felt, you know, a, a, almost a universal gratefulness for once it came back, even if, even as schools are doing the right thing to protect their communities of just saying, Hey, just, just that we can be outside playing basketball, mass on whatever separated, whatever. We're just out together. Even if it's in a small group, we're back doing the thing that, that we love to do. And basketball besides being a great game is a great stress reliever. And so crazy stressful times, stressful stuff with school. It's just, it was just, a, I know from my brother, super positive experience just for the schools that were able to do stuff. Yeah, it's, it's great for the mental health aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, like it just, you know, you, you imagine doing all your classes remote, you're in your room all day and all this kind of stuff. And just being able to, you know, that was a lot of time, like, you know, we, we were having workouts just so we can get the guys together. Yeah. You know, just so they could be around each other, you know, and not worry about, am I following every single, you know, am I allowed to do this? Or am I, it's like, no, we're in the gym now. Like, yeah, we're going to wear our masks and social distance and all that stuff but we're at least here together people aren't watching us and checking to see you know what we're up to and you know that kind of thing just be around each other be you know have that team aspect so there was a lot of that in play as well just just trying to give them some normalcy some some outlet you know if we could so in the spring you're named the head coach at Ithaca at Ithaca College what drew you to to the school uh, a lot, a lot of the same reasons I, I was drawn to Hartwick. To be honest, it's it's, it's a great um, academic institution um, in a, in a great town, a great college town. It's because I think routinely ranked as like the number one college town in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's got it's got great athletics. It's you know, basketball programs had a ton of success coming off a, a phenomenal season the year before when they played, and and you know, it just. It just seemed like the right move. It was, it was, it was, it was a good move for me and my family. Um, it was a tough decision to make to, to, you know, move on from, from the guys I'd brought in at Hartwick. Those, those guys, you know, I love those guys. And, right. Um, but you know, I, I just think the the institution itself is just, you know, it, it has so many benefits. It's it's in a great league. 
um, a super competitive league that had, you know, three teams in the NCAA tournament the year before. Yep. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it was just, it's just the right step for me in my career, but also, you know, just, just a good fit for, for, for me and my family. Yep. And teams making runs, sweet 16s and everything too. Yep. The Liberty yep. league in 2019, 2020 was arguably one was arguably the best league in the Northeast. As you mentioned, really successful program. You've had success at at Horrock, but kind of how are you going about this summer in in preparation for? Obviously, you want to shape the the program into doing the things that that you want to do, while also not completely changing uh, what's worked before for this program. Right, exactly, and and that's a a delicate balance, and it's one that I think you know. Um, it's similar to how when I took over at Harvard, right? It's a program mm-hmm. that had success and, you know, just trying to figure out, you know, what needs to be done without changing everything, right? I understand that there were definitely had to be some stuff that was done that worked, right? It doesn't need to change. So kind of drawing on that experience and maybe thinking about maybe some of the mistakes I've made then and just trying to understand that it's, it's a process. Uh, it's going to take time to figure out what needs to be done. I'm just trying to take it one day at a time, understand, you know, what my team looks like, you know, their, their personalities, their makeup, their experience levels, how things are done at Ithaca, mm-hmm. um, you know, all, all of that. Um, while also, you know, I, I, there's, there's high expectations there, you know, right. there's high expectations from the top down. And I, I, like I said, it's another job where I took over because I'm not expected to lose, in yeah. minute, you know, and, um, you know, so being able to kind of understand that we still have to make sure our culture is strong, without losing that, that those expectations and trying to find that balance and then that's to me i think it's something that we have to take on a you know be intentional about be deliberate about and kind of do it on a day-by-day basis and the great thing that, that i've really found is the team the attitude of the team is not one of hey coach don't come in here and mess it up we're good right you know we've, we've done this they're actually hungry for more mm-hmm. they're they're the ones coming to me and telling me the things that they want to see done, you know, we should do more of this or we should do this differently. These are the things we like. These like, and, and then that's really refreshing for me because it allows me to kind of make sure I'm, I'm going to be able to be myself and, and do the things I know how to do, but also understand that they're, they're hungry. They're not satisfied. They're not, they're not sitting back on their laurels, you know? And, and I think that's, that's kind of exciting. So when, when people think about colleges in Ithaca, they're usually the, the first school they think of is, is the other one, right? Cornell. Ithaca just being a small school in a town with with a with a much you know bigger school name brand watch just because of they're in the Ivy League. If you're not from the region, you may not know too much about Ithaca College, even though it's a good school, good good sports, really nice campus. When you're out in the recruiting process, what sort of things are you doing to kind of sell the school and just get the name out there for people who just may not know too much about Ithaca? No, yeah, we're we're selling. We're you know, Cornell is a part of our sell. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's 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 part of the reason why Ithaca is ranked as the number one college town, right? We have Cornell here, but we also have this great institution as Ithaca College. Um, the, the the great the the cool thing that Ithaca does is we have over five thousand students. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not necessarily a small school. So, but we do all the things that small schools do. We do them well. Like we have. Yeah a small student teacher ratio. We have small class sizes and individual attention, all those things that, you know, smaller schools that have 1500 kids or 2000 kids do. We do that, but we have 5,000 kids. So you kind of get the best of both worlds in terms of like, you can get some of the bigger school experience while also getting the benefits of the small school experience that are, you know, help you academically and all that. So those are some of the benefits that I, I, I always try to bring up. We've got great academic programs at liberal arts college, you know, we got really strong programs in different areas. And you're talking about communication, the health sciences, you know, our business program, you know, um, you know, things like that. But also it's a liberal arts college, you know, we're, we're also the, the right fit for someone who doesn't know what they want to do. Yeah. Right. And, and, and kind of come here and, and figure it out, you know, why not come to a place like this? That's beautiful. It has, has a mix of, you know, there's over 150 waterfalls in Ithaca right yeah. the nature the the scenery it's beautiful but we also have a great college town a great downtown area for for you know those who want to be in that kind of lifestyle so we kind of have everything 
um, which again is part of the reason it drew me here. But I know it's definitely the reason it's drawing a lot of recruits here. And I, and I picked the brains of some of our players and asked them, why did you choose this? What was the reason? And those are a lot of the things they gave me. You know, and, and those are those are the things we're trying to get out in our messaging and our recruiting when we're having conversations with kids. You know, and we have a good relationship with Cornell. Yeah. You know, it's not a rivalry of, of any kind. You know, we, we work together, you know, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it is a, it is a nice little uh, atmosphere here if you're if you're a college student. And so the the last month for, for, for people who may not know, July is the busiest recruiting month of season. It's what the NCA calls the live recruiting period, which basically means you're allowed to talk to recruits and interact with them in a way that you're technically not allowed to in the rest of the year. So while you're looking for the, for the next players on the court for the Ithaca team, one key part to any great sports program is a, is a great coaching staff. How are you going about filling out your coaching staff at Ithaca and sort of what goes into to hiring a good assistant coach because uh, you know for for players it's pretty easy you to, to just from from an outsider you want the best players you can but it's a lot harder from the outside to say hey what makes a great assistant coach yeah so we're, we're still trying to figure it out figure out our staff here but you know some of the things i'm looking for is you know i'm, I'm looking for you know i want an assistant coach who wants to be a head coach mm-hmm. that's like one of the things i really am looking for someone someone who wants to be a head coach right they're they're trying to get better they have a, a mindset of always improving at everything right a growth mindset um you know we got to have something you know I, I i like i said i need a basketball junkie so like i'm a basketball junkie. i need a basketball junkie there with me. someone who's gonna indulge me on my wild basketball ideas and have conversations and all that kind of stuff but a guy who's who's willing to put the time in on their own doesn't need to be told what to do. A guy who can who you know is going to take initiative and um, you know whatever it is, whether it's recruiting or you know with the guys, workouts, things like that, um, take stuff off my plate. You know, help me out. But also a guy who can tell me like you know bring his own ideas and tell me like, hey, coach, like I don't know if that's the best idea. Like I I, think I need guys like that. I don't want someone just going to agree with everything I say. Um, you know, but that mentality of being a head coach, I think is something I, I really look for. Obviously you want someone who's loyal, right? You know, someone you can trust, someone who's intelligent, right? Can, can get work done and, you know, communicate properly when you, when you think about going out and then talking to kids and families and all that kind of thing. So, someone who's going to represent the program the right way and every, everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that comes into play. Um, you know, but again, a guy who, 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 loves the game of basketball as much as I do and, and is willing to, to, to understand that this is everything we do is for the, the, the athletes, the student athletes to help them have the greatest experience possible. And as long as they have that mentality, um, they, they usually end up being pretty successful. So correct me if I'm wrong, coach, but your brother is also in the coaching world, in the coaching business. How do you guys, you know, when you guys are catching up and, and talking, whether at family functions or just are just on the phone, how long can you kind of go without talking about basketball? And can you also just talk about just what it's like to have someone else going through what you're going through? Yeah, I mean, we, we can do the basketball thing whenever, right? We can mm-hmm. turn that on and off whenever. Um, you know, uh, you know, my brother is, is you know, we, we grew up with basketball in our lives. So we can always turn it on and off, whether it's talking about college hoops or a game that was on the other night or whatever, recruiting. Um, we can talk about that anytime, pick it up and drop it anytime. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it's, it's cool having somebody else in, you know, in the game, right. And, and, um, you know, to be able to bounce experiences off each other and ideas and, you know, he, he works for a great head coach and, you know, they're, they're super smart over there at Baruch and, and, you know, to be able to steal ideas from them and, and have coaches speak, you know, coaches talks and hoops talks and all that kind of stuff. See those guys out on the road. Um, it's awesome. Um, but it's also, you know, we also can turn it off and just, you know, be brothers and knock a lot a lot of our recent conversations are, you know, he, he recently got married and I oh, have wow. my, my three-year-old son and, Congrats. you know, we're just, <laughs> a lot of the conversations don't even really involve me. It's, it's him trying to have a conversation with, <laughs> with my kid. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of that. He's being an uncle as well. So we do have a, a pretty good balance on, on, you know, the basketball stuff, but also just the family stuff. That's also and Baruch has is one of the most, in my opinion, underrated basketball gyms in New York City. The way it's underground and the Lower East Side, it's got the windows up top and have great. Obviously, they're successful, but they used to have these the great summer leagues there, whether it was 
Nike Pro City, and they would have Rumble in the Bronx and all this stuff. It's a, it's a great, great gym. So, 100%. I agree. I agree 100%. So one last you know question before we get to some fun ones at the end is you mentioned turn it off and back on with your brother talking about basketball. How do you watch basketball nowadays? When can can you watch the NBA finals or you know the Olympics just wrapped up and can you watch them the way that I can in full amazement of the incredible things that are happening on the court or is it always that coaching side on? I can uh, I can watch. It's weird. I've always watched the game from like a an analytical kind of side. Like I'm always trying to figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 you know what's happening, that kind of thing. But I I always still have a little bit of a fandom to it. Okay. I'm a big I'm a big Knicks fan, so like I can watch a Knicks game and straight up you know turn into a super fan and every calls against us, <laughs> and, you know, all, all that kind of because thing. they but, are right. <laughs> yeah, maybe, um, but. You know, it, you know, I, I I do still watch it a lot as a coach, and the the great thing is I can I, I'm able to again I can turn it off a little bit, and the great thing about that is, is social media, mm-hmm. so I can sit and watch a game, and I don't need to have like my notepad next to me and write this down, right. or rewind this and all that stuff. I just I'll go to social media, Twitter after, and I'll see the plays that I like and all that stuff. Someone will have clipped it already and put it up there, so I kind of can watch it just with like you know an enjoyment factor, um, and then get to the analytical coaching side when i need to you know later on or whatever but you can kind of turn it on and off but there's always going to be that you know in the back of my mind trying to figure out like all right what what is this guy trying to do what right. is this play you know what you know that kind of thing um you know watching the olympics and that kind of thing you're, you're you know you get fired up because you're cheering for your country yeah you know those things and you know but um you know it, it, it can go back and forth there are times where i'll, I'll watch a game and you know to be honest i I'm just watching it. And I just, you know, I'm just, just watching really good players play, you know, in the NBA or, you know, I, during the season, a lot of the basketball I watch is division three yep. basketball. Right. And, you know, just watching coaches who I respect and, you know, see what they're doing and, you know, not really necessarily digging down deep into the, the sets and the, you know, all that kind of stuff, just kind of seeing, you know, how things are being done there. That's all. Yeah. The Jordan Sperber hoop vision Twitter account. Has, I'm sure he should just be an unpaid. He should just be listed as an unpaid consultant for a lot of teams around the country. That because that guy's Twitter account is awesome. Absolutely. I mean, there's so, there are so many. Mm-hmm. So there's so many these days. It's like you know, they're just doing the work for. You. They're all assistant coaches. They, right. they all do the work for you. I, I, <laughs> a lot of props to all those guys because I, I wish I could do some of the things they're able to pull off so quickly and see that I you know they see things I don't see for right. sure. 100 percent very helpful all right coach really appreciate all the time so far we're gonna wrap up the podcast with five rapid fire questions you ready i am ready number one your favorite drill as a coach my favorite drill so i like pretty much any drill that's competitive like that can get the guys going at each other and and really trying to wear we try to do as much competitive stuff in our practices so anything where the guys are like you know they're going at it and we're, we're keeping score and they're 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 willing to do whatever it takes i think one drill that'll you know i think the guys always get fired up we, we call it cutthroat it's pretty much a half court four on four on four kind of continuous every every basket or stop a new team comes on and it mm-hmm. can get pretty uh pretty chaotic pretty intense at times and and the, the way i judge you know how, how i practice uh, how we do in our practices is based on you know do the guys enjoy it and i know they enjoy that one because that's one of the drills they're always like hey can we run that back can we do that again, can we do that again? so those, those are the those are the ones that I, I i love you mentioned you were a knicks fan of i feel your pain here favorite favorite knicks memory Oh man, I got so many. Um, I can't give you one. So, <laughs> John Starks left hand dunk uh-huh. you know, against the Bulls on the baseline. Uh, Patrick Ewing the putback jam, you know, to seal the deal in the playoffs. Uh, Allen Houston shot against the Heat that bounced in. Uh, the numerous fights, and things <laughs> like that. Um, you know, uh, Larry Johnson's uh, four-point play. Yep. You know, all that kind of stuff. None of the bad. None of the. None of the. I forgot all the bad memories. Right. But all, all those. All those good memories. I was a 
huge Knicks fan growing up. Like, I still have the. I mean, if you go to my parents' house, you know, my parents still live in the same house that we grew up in. The poster, you know, go New York, go New yep. York, go, still hangs on the, in, in the one room there. So, big fan. Yeah, it was Lynn Sanity for me. It was seventh grade, eighth grade for Lynn Sanity. It was amazing. In three days, all of a sudden, the entire school was talking about the Knicks for the first time that I can remember in school. Yeah, Lynn Sanity was huge. He was huge. Do you have any pregame superstitions? I do. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm I have my routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. It's not superstitious. Just like you know, like I hate getting dressed. <laughs> so like, I'm gonna wait until the last possible second to put my suit on or whatever, just because you know. But I'll I'll sit there and I'll I'll have my card ready and I'll write on the board and talk to the guys. I want to stick to that routine as much as possible. Um, but not not very superstitious. You know, if we get if we get beat pretty bad or something, I may not wear that tie again mm-hmm. the rest of the year or something like that. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really have any superstitions, um, just cause, you know, to be honest, I think they're more work, but also it's, it's hard to keep them up, you know, on the road <laughs> at home, especially at division three level. Like, you know, like you're in a different gym with a different setup and yep. all those kind of things. Like I can't do a, you know, a specific meal or a, I got a shower, you know, all these things like it's hard to keep up. So I, you know, just, I, I like to stick with a, just a basic routine and hope everything works out. I read that you're a fan of Seinfeld, in my opinion, the best New York <laughs> based tv show that there ever was or ever will be your favorite episode oh that's too tough too tough of a question there um again i'm, I'm answering a lot of these rapid fire questions with multiple answers i mean the, i guess i don't know they're, they're just moments there are certain moments yep. that i'll always come back to and it's like you know uh the, the one where kramer's you know he's talking about how he 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 drove the bus. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and he's like, now I'm driving the bus. Yeah. You know, you're Batman. The next stop, you know, and, and he's like, he still kept making the stop. You know, like you know, stuff like that, you know, where George, George is talking about, you know, getting the golf ball out of the, the beached whale. Or that's my like, favorite one. He was angry that day, my friend. You know, like, that's my favorite things, episode. Can, those lines, you can use any, any time, you know, in a conversation. I don't know, you know, younger guys, they don't know Seinfeld anymore, so it's hard, but, you know, guys your age, you know, guys my age, we can keep bringing that stuff up. It's such a, such a uh, timeless show, in my opinion. Yeah, the marine biologist episode is my favorite, <laughs> and, and, you know, exactly, people may not have watched Seinfeld, but all the terminology that has come right. from Seinfeld. Like when someone says yada, 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 that's from Seinfeld. <laughs> Absolutely. And Absolutely. So, they don't even know. Yeah. And so last question here, if you could change one rule about college basketball, what would you change? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, like I said, this is another question. I can't give you one. Um, this is going to sound bad, but there's, I, I mean, I'm all for four quarters. I'm all for, you know, shorter shot clock. I'm all for advancing you know, at the end of the game or whatever, that's all stuff I'm for. Um, I am for getting rid of the charge. I, I okay. Block charge is the worst call. And it's like, I've hated it since I was a player. I got a bunch of charges as a player. Just, I, I just don't understand how it's defense to just try to, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind if you're guarding me and then I like ran you over or pushed you off, or whatever, that could be an offensive foul. But the guy who just comes from like the other side of the floor to stand underneath you and you yeah. jump and all that, like, why is that considered good defense? Like I, I you know, you know, I, I don't understand how it's defense to just stand in front and get run over. You know, like that, that, I, I mean, the referees, you know, they just have so much trouble calling it. Yes, I'd be all for just getting rid of the charge. You know, when it's a secondary defender, everything's a block. Just jump, be vertical, learn how to be vertical, contest the shot, and that's it. Um, you know, I'd be all for switching that. Um, it's, this isn't really a basketball rule; it's more of a D three rule. I would love for D three to start allowing us to work with our players throughout the year you know give me give me an hour give me an hour or two a week you know in the the early in the year and the end of the year to just do some some of that skill work or whatever that you know that we were able to do last year you know with the rule changes and i think it's so much more beneficial i think it actually would save more time for players um you know to, to focus on their academics and stuff like that i just think it's it's you know i understand why the rules are that they are but i feel like they're a little outdated we can make some changes and still not affect the uh, the student athlete model. Yeah, it's I funny. Know a few coaches will probably feel that way, but I, I'd love to see that change um, sometime here in the near future. It's funny. I I know as a as, as a student athlete, when you're almost it's weird when you're more scheduled with stuff, you're focused more on your academics than when you have less schedules. Like, oh, I have all day, 
and then yeah, ten, and then I ten mean, o'clock I, comes I, and you've you know, done nothing. Yeah, there are guys who go to the gym and they're in the gym for two and a half hours, mm-hmm. and it's like I put them through a forty-five minute workout and they're dead, you yeah. know, and they <laughs> accomplish more. Now I just saved an hour and whatever for them to go do more schoolwork, mm-hmm. right? It just it, and it's like I I don't think you know. I don't think it harms anything. I think it will have a better product. I think, you know, you know, these kids play division three basketball for the love of the game. Why not let them do it, you know, with their coaches and stuff all year round. I think right. it'll increase the love of the game. It'll increase their dedication, increase their, you know, their overall experience. Coach really appreciate all the time as always on the double, double, give the last word to our guests. Anything you want to say or shout out to the great people of Ithaca, New York. No, 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 uh, you know, uh, thanks for having me, but you know the, the the Ithaca community. I'm excited to to officially be a part of it. Uh, I'm looking forward to to getting out and meeting as many people as possible, and and you know hopefully doing everybody proud with our our uh, our team. You know this year and, and years going forward. Can't wait to experience more things here. I'm, I'm obviously brand new. Um, anybody who recognizes me, feel free to say hello, and and you know. We're looking forward to to doing big things, so go Bombers. Yep, go Bombers. Best of luck this year, Coach. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, cross on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast, we hit subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Let's follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We will be back next week. Take care and make it a great day.